Hope everybody had a great day today. Uh, this is going to be a little bit different this evening. This is me by myself, and we're going to take hopefully a bunch of questions, and we're going to talk about uh, this late spring we're having, how we're going to deal with that. We're going to talk about a lot of things tonight. So as usual, giddy up. Let's go. Here we go. Today, today was a big day, folks. I want to I want to share my screen with you because we built our first Johnson Sioux reactor today, and it is going to hopefully yield us many many microbes. And I've been I've been waiting a long time. Finally, got the right time, Eric. Uh, kick-started me and we got this thing built today eric andy rachel and myself built this and it's um it's starting to brew so hopefully in a year we will have some microbes to harvest and we will then be in furrow and uh foliar feeding these microbes to our crops and probably to our cover crops so it's going to be awesome it's a blast it's going to be a blast so hopefully we can talk about this tonight uh, also want to talk about um, uh, sacred ground natural meats. That is a, a, a retail online meat service that we're we are now providing, and hopefully uh, we can get this going because I think it's very important that we all think about how can we vertically integrate our farms and 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 make us more solid for the future and and more resilient so um you know what we're trying to do is we're trying to uh, uh, rotationally graze our cattle across our acres that we have infrastructure on that takes a long time to get that infrastructure going but once you get that infrastructure in place you have your water you have your fence you can rotationally graze and we're trying to raise these animals naturally as possible with all uh, all kinds of care given to these animals and uh, we feel like we've got a pretty good product and hopefully we can get uh, get some sales locally and uh, and around the world it just doesn't matter so uh, that's uh, sacred ground uh, dot store is how you can find that Rachel has that in the chat box there um is there anyone that has a question that we would like to get started with this evening no questions well let's um let's move into this spring then and please please come with questions because i don't want to just just talk about what's on my mind let's let's talk about what's on your mind um let's talk about this spring we are in west central indiana and it has been cold and wet and we are very very slow getting out of the gate our cover crops are only five six seven eight inches tall maybe at the most and we are way behind on building biomass and this could be a problem for folks that are trying to farm with no tillage and no chemistry so here's the what we're going to do let's talk about beans first i think what we're going to have to do now is we're going to have to change our strategy just a little bit on these soybeans 
I think we're going to have to go out and we're going to have to up our rates a little bit. I'm talking maybe uh, we, we are typically planning on 20 inch rows around 140,000. I think we need to, uh, we're going to drill some beans, which will be seven and a half inch spacing, probably around 220, 220 to 225,000 plants. And we're going to probably try to plant some soybeans as soon as the ground is fit to be on, the temperature's right, everything's got to be right here. I mean, even though we feel like we're behind, we still have to wait and make sure everything's right. So what I'm thinking here is instead of waiting for boot stage and then planting the beans and rolling later, we're going to do some acres where I want to plant the beans when everything's right. And let's say at that point in time, the rye is uh, 18 inches tall. Let's plant the beans then, and that gives the beans a chance to come up and run with the rye and just let it go. They, those beans will probably not get rolled. Now, what we're going to be looking for, though, in the future is will there be an opportunity to harvest the rye and clip it right above those soybeans that are growing and then we can open up that that daylight to those soybeans and away they go so that's option number one then option number two in that scenario would be to do nothing and just let the rye go because i feel like at that point by putting by planting the beans at that early of a stage of the growth of the rye i don't think the rye is going to outgrow the beans to a point where it's going to hinder uh, performance. So that's that's two options. Now a, another option is on and, and again you got to be out scouting because we were we were talking in the shop this afternoon Andy and and Rachel and Eric and I and we were pulling up the planting dates of when we planted our these cover crops last fall and folks I know I preach on this but this is huge these dates in the fall make all the difference in the world the best field of cereal rye that we have growing this spring was one of the first fields we planted last fall so timing is critical and you can see i mean that particular field that the rye has closed the row you can't tell what it is growing because you can't row it anymore it's just a nice beautiful green field then you go to a field that was planted 10 or 12 days later and the rye is six inches tall and you can still row it all the way across the field and it's april 21st so Again, I know I harp on this, but planting dates in the fall are huge. So now what we'll probably do with that field that looks the best, that's going to probably shine in our what we like to call our normal system. That's planting these beans at boot stage and then coming back and rolling everything down at anthesis. So, but this really, if you think about 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 farming and planting you can't plant everything in one day anyway so this idea of going out and hitting those early fields that the rye doesn't look very good and get them done first and by the time we get done with them the rye that's better should be at anthe or should be at boot stage and we'll go right into that rye plant those beans and then i think what i may do also and this depends on weather 
we may let a field or two go until anthesis and then either A, plant the beans first and then roll or roll that field at anthesis and then that, in that same day, plant the beans. So then we'll have three different types of bean planting going on this year. That's kind of what I'm leaning toward because when I think back in, in time, we have put too much emphasis on one style of planting beans into the rye, and that's probably a mistake. And also, as I think back, and again, you've got to, you've got to collect this data so that you can do these things, but I was looking back at, at some yields and we, some of the best yields we had two years ago were soybeans that were planted in June after we rolled the rye down that same day. You know, the, the, the roller was rolling the rye and 20 minutes behind it was the, was the planter planting the soybeans. So you just never know what kind of growing season you're gonna get. So I think we need to spread our risk out a little bit more and that's kind of what I'm leaning toward. But I think also when we think about these, these, uh, these cover crops like the cereal rye that may not tiller or, or tiller to the amount we want it to tiller and give us that 10,000 pounds of biomass, that's why I want to raise that population on those beans that we're planting early because we're, we're now banking on that soybean canopy to do the big load of the weed suppression. That's why we will drill those fields on seven and a half inch spacing. Okay, let's see what Jeremy's got a question here. Sorry, folks, I can't see the screen anymore, so I got to lean way in to read the question. What percent success do you have on no-till soybeans? success being defined as meeting or exceeding yield goals and having adequate weed control great question jeremy i think it 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 i probably pretty much already answered this question jeremy it's going to truly depend on the amount of biomass that we can get from these cover crops now last year we we have been we have been raising the amount of rye that we plant every fall and last year we started at 130 pounds to the acre of Elbon cereal rye and when we ended the season we ended at 150 pounds so that's where we are now thank goodness we put that amount out because if you were to look at our stands right now you'd swear we planted about 80 pounds the the cover crops look that poor so when you get the biomass that we need, and I'm talking eight, nine, ten thousand pounds of dry matter biomass, Jeremy, we can do a pretty good job of suppressing weeds, and we can do a pretty good job of, of hitting our yield expectations. Now, when we go back in time and look at how we used to farm when we were on a 75% reduction of synthetic inputs, meaning fertilizer and chemistry, and we were 100% no-till and 100% cover crop. When we used to farm like that, we were, we were increasing yields year after year after year on both corn and beans. I'll be honest with you, Jeremy, we've now stepped into this, this I don't know. I mean, this is a tough world and this organic with no tillage is extremely difficult. I'll be honest with you. We 
have dropped 20% in yield. And we now have a lot of noise again. Noise meaning we have a lot of yield variance throughout the field. We're working on getting that noise back down. But, but there's, it, I'm not gonna sit here and kid anybody. It is a yield reduction to do the practices that we are now doing. But I think we're understanding what's happening here and we're understanding the mechanisms that are, are giving us the grief. The grief we've got right now is grass. I think we're understanding what we need to put in these fields to help that grass situation. Uh, we need to make sure that there's plenty of calcium available for that crop and for those microbes at the right times. So that's important here to what I just said, the right time. Had a tremendous podcast last, last week with John Kempf. Rachel is, will probably have that online uh, for viewing in three or four weeks. I mean, folks, if you didn't hear that one, you've got to listen to that. John spends 35, 40 minutes on calcium and nitrogen, and if you can get your calcium levels correct and get that supplied to the plant at the right time, you can greatly reduce nitrogen, if not totally eliminate it. So super cool stuff he talked about. So Jeremy, I hope that answered your question. Um, again, it goes back to planting date because like I've said before, I can take you to a field last fall that the beans yielded in the 70s, and that was because that cover crop was planted in September. And then I can take you down the road four miles and take you to a field that, that yielded 15. And it was swallowed up by grass, and it was because we didn't have the biomass and that cover crop was planted six weeks later. So I hope that answered your question, but it's very important when we get these cover crops planted. Uh, Jake, Jake Rowland, we have a rustic rye showing heads in Southern Indiana. Wow, good for you. Uh, we may have a chance to start planting next week. Roll crimp or let it go. All right, you've got heads showing now. Um, I'll tell you what, I would go ahead and plant. And when you come back to roll, you're gonna probably beat about V1 and that would be primo and just roll the whole thing down. And those little beans at V1 will just spring around and come right back up. You won't get that uh, elongation that sometimes happens when we plant these beans into the rye at boot stage because what happens is that bean comes out and is stretching and reaching for sunlight and it elongates and we are actually changing the physiological structure of that soybean. And my guess is if we're doing that, we're probably changing uh, the outcome of what the potential yield could have been. So I like that and I can't believe you're all, so wow, that, that rye must be what, 48 inches tall or so? Some, you know, three and a half, four feet tall? That is spectacular, I would plant whenever the fields fit and roll it anthesis she'll be just fine great 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 question and and i like the fact that that jake mentioned a rustic so i don't care what variety you folks plant but it's important to understand that if you're going to roll crimp this we need to plant one variety because it's all going to mature at the same time 
So keep that in mind. I know things are expensive. I know VNS is cheaper than a single variety, but I'm telling you that single variety is worth it if you're going to mechanically terminate. If you're going to use chemistry, I'm okay with VNS. It's fine. Because what's it matter when it's going to mature? You're going to terminate with chemistry and it doesn't make any difference. Uh, okay, and then uh, planting beans into 80 to 100 pound rye, uh, rye is at least waist high. Okay, got it, Jake. So they planted between 80 and 100 pounds of rye last fall. Uh, if you don't mind, uh, Jake, would you respond back with what was your planting date? If you don't mind, I know you're in Southern Indiana. You're probably two weeks ahead of us here. We are just north of Interstate 74, and I'm assuming that you are south of Interstate 64. So uh, let me know what date you planted that rye, if you would. Just ballpark it. Um, last week of September. There you go. That was probably late for you guys, I would guess, um, being the last week of September, but that's fine. That, that is when you want to try to get this stuff planted is in September, and then you can get to be fun, like Jake's getting ready to get fun with this, and go out next week and plant beans into this. It'll plant beautifully, and, and then in, I don't know, four weeks maybe, because you're that far along, you'll be roll crimping this down um, at the end of May. So beautiful, that'll be beautiful. Um, David Crowley, what soil test do you prefer? Okay, uh, David, we used to do the traditional soil testing. I no longer do that. We've not done the traditional testing now for two years. I never really liked the traditional testing because it, it pretty much treats your soil like it's a dead organism and your soil is not dead, it's alive. So we really rely on Rick Haney's uh, Haney soil health test. That's the one that we, we really rely on. And then let me just lay out what we do. You don't have to do this because these tests are fairly expensive, but let me tell you what we do. We try and, and regionalize the farm. So let's say, let's just say south, the southern end of the farm has 500 acres that's somewhat within the same geography, same, uh, same slope, same fertility, same general soil types. We'll pick a field or maybe two, and it will be the representative sample of that, of that area. Then what we will do is we will geospatially mark the, in, from past history, the best uh, production parts of the field, the worst production parts of the field, and an average production part of the field. And we will mark those three spots geospatially. So we always go back to those same spots and we're trying to pull uh, this Haney test three times a year at those three locations. So uh, you're gonna pull one in the spring, you're gonna pull one in the summer when the crop's growing, and you're gonna pull one in the fall, probably right after harvest. Because I, I don't know when the maximum uh, function or or this machine this by but microbial machine when it's chugging and hitting every cylinder i don't know when this is so i want to pick the three times of the growing season and then you got to remember now these it doesn't matter what test you're doing this is a snapshot in time 
because if it rained right before you pull this test or it rains right after you pull, you're going to get different answers. So that's why it's important that we collect this data. We, Rachel's built a spreadsheet for us. We, we tell her what information we wanna track. She can show graphs. We can see what the organic carbon's doing. We can see what organic nitrogen, what is the trend? That's what I care about. What is the trend? Is the nitrogen trending up? Is it trending down? Is organic matter trending up or trending down? These are the things that, that, that we now do. And, and we also do uh, Solvita and we also do PLFA and we'll do CO2 burst. And, and all of this can come out of the Haney except for the PLFA, and that's just an add-on that can be done. And, and again, you're probably looking in the neighborhood of $125 to $150 per sample. And don't quote me to that. That's just a ballpark, I think, of where these are. That's why you pick a field to be a representation of an area and then you just run with it. Now, if you get a field that is not responding or not acting like you think it should, then I would go test that one field specifically and, and see what's going on. Um, I'm also very intrigued with uh, what John Kempf is doing with SAP analysis. We are actually going to start doing that this, this spring with John and his company. I love the notion this because I never really paid attention into, to this SAP analysis. I never even researched it. Dumb me. Should have done that. But John explained it to me one day and it's like, wow, now this makes sense. I mean, you go out and you pull the, 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 the last leaf and the, the, and the first leaf that just came on. So now you see what's available and then what's in the plant. And it's a beautiful way to look at it. So I never thought about doing that. I've always done tissue uh, sampling and tissue sampling is okay but the thing that that really matters here to me is do you have whatever nutrients you need available and are they readily available and in a form that the plant can pick up if you have uh, sulfur numbers off the chart but you tissue sample and show low sulfur then you're, there's another imbalance somewhere that's not letting the sulfur get being uptaken by the plant so we just got to remember you've got to look at both of those kind of hand in hand um let's see anything else any other questions don't see any other questions all right let's go to the corn program now this again this this is tough because because it all boils down again to the fall. So we did not get uh, our, our crops harvested in time to get the clover and the vetch planted what I thought was gonna be a, an early enough time in the fall. They're still sitting in inventory in the warehouse. Uh, I don't know, 2000 acres worth of seed sitting in inventory and I also decided not to, to uh, frost seed any of that, which I probably should have done that on a field or two, but I just didn't like the way the field conditions were. We've been so wet here. And, and I hope there's, you know, I hope there's people from out west listening. And I am so sorry that, that you're in the shape you're in out there. I mean, you folks are burning up. 
So I don't mean to be rubbing this in, but here where we are in West Central Indiana, we are wet. And, and I just didn't want to be on these fields. So anyway, what we're doing now is we are going to plant the corn first. And then we're going to come back in two or three days and we are going to drill peas right over the top of that cornfield. Probably set in maybe a three degree angle so we're not driving right down a row of corn. But so the corn's only been in the ground three days. It might have a, a hypocotyl of maybe a, a three eighths of an inch. You're not going to hurt a thing. And remember, we plant corn here about three inches deep. And we're going to plant these peas about one inch deep with the drill. Now, the reason why I'm doing this is because there's many reasons, but here's a couple of them. I want to get the corn out of the ground first and get ahead of these peas because this is where we struggle all the time on this system with planting corn into living covers that we are mechanically terminating. The corn gets absolutely smothered. It turns yellow and it just simply stalls it out for three or four weeks. I'm trying to get past this hump and that's why I want to delay this planting two or three days, but we can't delay too much because the corn's gonna to get too tall underground, that spike's coming up and I don't wanna be damaging that spike. So I'm thinking two or three days. All right, then the theory here is these peas are going to take off after the corns come out of the ground, the peas are gonna be right behind them. They're gonna start fixing nitrogen and I hope then there's that nitrogen is going to be available for this corn plant. Now we're going to scout and monitor this because we could do a couple of things here. Now we have a Romo and if you don't know what a Romo is that just envision a, a row cultivator and you've got the bar and take all of the standards off and all the sweeps and take everything off that bar and mount rotary scythe units on every spot where those where those rows were and you're now going to mow down the middles in between your two rows of cash crop okay so we could come in with the row mow and we could mow these peas which would terminate them which is then going to cause a mulching effect and now is going to start releasing those nutrients they've they've sequestered or or fixed that's one way we also have from Dawn Manufacturing, an in-row roller that I think this is going to be primo for that in-row roller is to then go in and roll. And I don't think I will put knives on that will cut this cover crop. I think we'll leave the blunt knives on and roll this down and we may need to roll it twice. And honestly, what would be great would be if we didn't kill these peas but we just subdued them to the point where they were still fixing some nitrogen. And then as the corn crop grows and we get to cash crop canopy in August or late July, then that, that canopy is going to finish terminating that pea. And I think that would let us feed that corn all summer long. Um, that's the two ways that I think we're going to have to do the corn. Now let's go back in time 
Um, again, I don't know who the audience is. I never know if, if you folks know what we're doing or not. We had some experiments on some cold tolerant peas. We planted them last winter. They did not survive the winter. They did not survive the winter. This is a bummer because this was going to be our fuel that was already going to be growing right now while we were waiting for these fields to dry out. But we had the wrong winter for this. It was too wet and too cold with not enough ground cover. I'm not blaming the peas. I'm not blaming anything other than we had, <clears throat> excuse me, the wrong weather this winter. Will I do it again? Oh yeah, we'll try it again because this is going to work. Now think if this did work, we would have peas growing right now, probably five, six inches tall, starting to the it's now tomorrow's going to be 72 or three we're finally kicking this this weather in spring is finally here those peas would be growing and then what the plan on this was going to be was going to be when these peas got to flowering when they just started to flower we were going to pull in with the big 60 foot inj baby that's my baby the big crimper and we were going to lay these peas down, plant corn, and then come back at V5, V6 and enroll roll with that Don enroll roller and then walk away. That was going to be the plan. But remember, Mother Nature always has other ideas for you. <clears throat> we're already up to like plan F already and it's it's April 21st. So that's what we're going to do now. So the 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 test we did on the peas didn't work that's okay um i still think it's worth looking at because it's such a huge benefit for you folks up north because this will open up your window of opportunity in the fall to plant a legume now here's something we're thinking about doing we're going to coat these beans with a coating that will protect them until next spring when the ground temperature gets to a certain temperature that coating is released and now the peas can survive these winters that is the next thing we're going to do this winter so i'm not giving up on this because this is too uh too valuable of a situation here with these peas um let's see now jeremy's asking a question is the roller crimper the only tool you use for terminating covers Jeremy, you got good questions tonight. No, we also use a flail chopper. We use the in-row roller and we use the Romo. Now, certain species can be terminated with these items, but we have to be careful now what we're planting. That's why we like Balanza fixation clover. Puts a stem on the size of your pinky and it's hollow and it snaps when that roller hits it, either the, uh, the Dawn in-row roller or either the, uh, the, the big 60-foot solid swath roller. I don't care what your brand is. I don't sell anything. I don't care. I think there's a company in Kansas maybe called uh, Progressive, I think it is. I don't care. Uh, whatever, whatever you like, get it. And uh, that's how we terminate. I like the flail chopper. When you get to that situation 
where everything clicks for you, okay? And this happens every once in a while. I mean, it happens almost every spring, but not in every field. You gotta, you gotta kind of pick and choose your fields. Last year, we had a field that the biomass was, all, I can't believe I'm gonna say this, but the biomass was almost too much. It was 13,000 pounds. And we came in and we did this two ways. One way was we planted the corn when I thought it was fit to plant. And then we came back and when the corn was at about four or five inches tall, we ran the flail chopper right over that we set the height right to the top of the corn and we flail chopped off all that, that legume and then let that just mulch down and the corn came up through it. Now that was good and bad. Our stand went down. We dropped 40,000 plants at planting time with the corn planter. After that, that flail chopper pass, we probably were down to 33 or 34,000 stand. So now that's going to open up opportunities for weeds because the density is not as great. So that's not, you know, that's not probably the desirable way to do it. Now, another field that we did, we flail chopped first, waited two days, and then came in and no-tilled the corn right through that. And that was at the point where it was actually starting to crunch. It had dried that much. Now, what's happening now is, here, here's the first thought I had when we did this. I thought, oh my gosh, we just released a bunch of CO2 and N2 or nitrogen right into the atmosphere. This is not good. Well, I, I made four phone calls to four people I trust. I asked them, all four said the same thing. No, you did not release very much at all. Yes, you may have released some CO2 and some nitrogen, but very, very minimal. But what, here's what else they said. You have now sized that material to a point that it is going to get eaten up fast. And it did. In four weeks, it was gone. So though now those microbes have taken that fuel They've eaten it, they've consumed it, they've converted it. It is now in a form that your cash crop can take up. So here we go back to this lag time. So that's probably a three or four week lag from when this flail chopper ran to when there's available nutrients to this corn. So now the corn is suffering in this time period. We're back to this yellow elongation We've, uh, we've changed the physiological structure. I mean, all this is happening. So again, I have never used any product on the farm, even if it's been OMRI approved, and we're going to try some this year. We're going to try some products that, that probably uh, have some, some sugars in them, some, some humates, uh, some microorganisms, and we're going to try to in-furrow feed the corn with some help to get it to get beyond this first three or four weeks of ugliness and get those roots driving down. That's what we got to do is get the roots driving down in the ground. And then when we've when we've done this with the flail chopper, you've not terminated this clover yet. 
but now the clover's not going to regrow much, but it's not going to die yet either. So again, it's a beautiful thing. So now it's still fixing some nitrogen for you. Your corn's going to grow. It's going to canopy. And then the canopy is going to suppress that clover and knock the clover out. And then it will be gone by fall. That's what's happened here. So that, that mulch that you, you flail chop, four weeks, the microbes have consumed it. The what's remaining is still alive enough that it's still growing with the corn. And then when it gets shaded out, it will start to die off, suffocate. And all of these things are great. And now let's think about that. You know, in let's think about limitations to corn yield. Okay, here's my top three limitations. Water, fertility, and carbon dioxide. And you're going to say carbon dioxide. Well, Rick, there's carbon dioxide everywhere. Yeah, there is, but there's not enough available carbon dioxide for that plant at the peak time that it needs it. So think about what we've done through all these years of being a good steward. We, we have gained in aggregate stability. Our aggregate stability now is about six or seven inches deep. So think of the amount of pore space we have to hold water and air. It's huge. And now think of this, this soil as a breathing organism. Inhale and exhale. It is bringing in the oxygen, the microbes are doing their work, and exhaling carbon dioxide, and that's what the corn plant needs. So if we can keep these cover crops growing with this corn a little bit longer into the growing season, and then when the corn canopies and smothers them, it's releasing that CO2 that the plant so desperately needs. And if you think about a corn plant and, and its physiological structure, the stomata is on the bottom of the leaf, which is where it breathes in the carbon dioxide. So this is all in place for a reason. So I know I've gone pretty far off the rails here, but this is how I think about what we need to do to have success out here with these cash crops. Because we, you know, I, I don't talk about yield very much because yield is going to happen, but we have to have some yield to pay the bills. I know that, but I don't get all hung up on yield because yield is not what's driving our system. Our system is being driven by soil health and human health. So once you can get to that point, then it's all good. All right, Michael. Rick, this is where the sap testing will shine. Know where you are short and address with foliar feed. Totally sold on foliar feeding, no guessing. Perfect. I, uh, Michael, have you done some sap testing? And if so, would you please uh, share with us a, a few comments on that? I, I really think, the guys and gals, I really think that we can incorporate the Haney test and the SAP test and really come up with some solid footing on where your farm is on fertility and where your farm is on biology. The biology trumps everything. We need to know what biology you have. Is your biology in balance? 
That's the most critical thing right there. If you are in a bacterial-based system, you are not going to succeed here. You've got to get shifted from all bacterial back to the middle, maybe even slightly over toward fungal. That's where I want to be, about 60% fungal and about 40% bacterial. I mean, you need both, but we need the fungal to get this microbial biome in hyperdrive. And I really like this notion of, of incorporating the SAP test with the, the Haney test. Uh, okay, here's Michael's uh, response. Six years on fruit trees and hay, crop doesn't matter. There you go. So he's been doing SAP testing for six years and what he means by crop doesn't matter, works on corn, works on beans. You could even sap test your weeds if you wanted to. I mean, you will be shocked at how much how many nutrients those weeds are sequestering from within that profile. It's outrageous. Um, I mean, hundreds of pounds. What was the one? A lamb's quarter. I did lamb's quarter one year, and it was... It was half of what that cereal rye can do. So it's it's crazy what we can we can do, and we've got to stop getting all hung up on, oh my gosh, I got a weed out there. I gotta go, I gotta go get the sprayer because I got a weed. No, we weeds are not all that bad. Now I'm not saying that we gotta turn let weeds just go rampant. That's not what I'm saying. But a few weeds in your system are okay. And folks, if you take tillage away, these weed seeds stay on top, they rot, they degradate, they are eaten by microbes, they're eaten by voles, they're eaten by, by whatever. And over time, they disappear. But if you come in with your tillage and you bury these seeds three inches deep, you've now given them an an environment that they can survive in until the next tillage pass when you turn them back up to the surface and they germinate and grow. So I very strongly try to not till. I know there are situations when you need to. I, I understand that. I'm trying to wrap my brain around green manure. I'm trying to, to, to see in my own mind is this an acceptable method. I know there are chronic cases of damage and there are acute cases. I understand that. And if you have a system that has good resilience and you are green manuring a tremendous amount of, of carbon and, and nutrients and minerals, I get it. The system's going to bounce back fast. I understand that. I am concerned more about this weed problem of now germinating more weeds out of the out of your weed uh, seed bank that is what bothers me more than the fact as can your system recover from that tillage pass yes i think it can i do do you want to do this every year no i don't think so but maybe one in five maybe let's see what what else we got here gregory jacks uh, JS compost extract should help you achieve fungal dominance. I applied some JS extract a couple weeks ago and anxious to see the results this fall. I'm assuming JS, uh, uh, 
Gregory is a company. So if you want to uh, Google that, J, J&S compost extract, um, uh, Gregory, is that what I would call um, bugs in a jug? I mean, this came in a jug and you had to, you had to uh, stir it up and then, and then make sure it stayed in suspension and then applied it that way. Is that correct? Johnson, oh, came from a Johnson Sioux. So you did this yourself. You, you, you built this reactor yourself. I'm going to grab a drink and I hope, I hope Gregory's uh, typing because this, this is exactly what I, one of the things I want to talk about. Yes, he says, correct. Okay. So, um, Gregory, do you have an extractor then? Is that what you did? And, and, and you're set up to do this, uh, every year, I'm assuming. Because this is exactly where I want to go, folks. I I love this notion of of building these the microbes, growing these microbes through this Johnson Sioux method reactor from items that are within your own region and environment. Now, I think we can also bring in. I mean, again, this John Kemp podcast I did last week. You've you've got to listen to it when it comes out. There is John talks about so many things on here. Rhizobia was one of them. When we inoculate soybeans or peas, well, the, the pea and the soybean have different rhizobia. Let's just stay on soybeans. When you're inoculating soybeans, you are using the same rhizobia that probably people in Iowa are using. So we are introducing different strains of that rhizobia to the farm. John says that's a good thing. I agree. I also think we need to think about when we build these, these, when we, when we fill these Sioux reactors up, I mean, it took, it took Eric and, and Andy and Rachel and myself about two and a half hours today to, to fill the, that reactor I had on the screen at the beginning, but it's worth it folks. If you can imagine that that reactor could, let's say it could do 500 acres. Think of what we have accomplished in one year's time and the microbes we're going to grow and, and, and what we can save by doing this with on our own farm. And I've been wanting to do this for five years and I just always found an excuse not to do it. And Eric finally kicked me in the butt and said, let's go. We're going to build this reactor. And that's what we did. So thank you, Eric. And here we are. We've now got the first one built. I plan on building five or six more, or the guys and us are going to do this. Okay, Gregory, homemade extractor this year, but it was too slow. I'm planning on buying a commercial extractor for next year. So Gregory is now in this for the long haul. Totally agree. I think we need to all be dibble dabbling in this to some degree. Um, you can do this very easily if you want. Uh, you can get a five gallon bucket and and build your reactor within the five gallon bucket and and just see what happens after after it's composted itself out the important thing here is to make sure that you water this daily um, i don't know the website right off the top of my head but david johnson uh is the uh the professor that came up with this and if you probably uh, Google Johnson Sue, that's Johnson hyphen S U 
That's his wife's name. Uh, Johnson Sioux Reactor. You'll get all everything you need to know about this. And I'm not trying to put uh, you know people like John out of business here. I'm just saying I think we can do some of these things on ourselves. And I'm telling you what, I got a microscope in the bottom of my desk drawer, and it is cool to get that out and look at these microbes that you have grown yourself and then put them back into your system. I can see us foliar feeding cash crop. I can see us foliar feeding cover crop. I can see us in, in furrow uh, with the planter at planting soybeans and corn. I mean, there's many ways we can get this out there. I think we just need to make sure they're out there in time to where they can get themselves established before it gets too cold. Uh, again, I'm not an expert on this. These are Dr. Chris Nichols or, or Nicole Masters questions. They're not, those are not questions for me. Um, but I just know we need all the help we can get. And, and that's where I think we are on this farm. We've kind of taken this ourselves as far as we can. And I, I'm, I'm to the point now where we need some help. And I, and I, I, I still think we need to look for the stimulants. What is the stimulant? And I don't know what this is. What is the stimulant that turns on the nitrogen fixing microbes? Because if we could get those microbes turned on and give them the fuel that they need to feed on, we don't need any more synthetic nitrogen. We don't need any legumes. We, what Dr. Christine Jones tells us, and I'm gonna, I'll just go ahead and write this down. This is something you're gonna wanna write down. Green Cover Seed does webinars and they had a four part series with Dr. Christine Jones from Australia. And one of those four parts, this was four different, I mean, each one's like an hour and a half long. And one of them was nitrogen. And she talks about how we can go out and plant diverse cover crops from the four species groups of cover crops and not need any legumes. And we can have those microbes turned on that will fix nitrogen and feed your cash crop. How about that? Everyone's talking about on the internet. I mean, it's just such a barrage of negativity anymore. It's, it's, it's almost hard to be on there sometimes, but everyone's complaining about all these high input prices. What are we going to do? Well, in my opinion, folks better be, be better be figuring this out sooner than later because there is going to come a day in the very near future where we, uh, I'm not going to say mandated because that's a very strong word, but we are going to be persuaded to farm in ways that have to do with more of a regenerative type style and follow the four principles of soil health. I, it's just going to have to be. So we better start to learn how to grow crops by reduction of synthetic inputs. Uh, Jake Roland, would spraying on compost tea help balance fungi bacteria? If spreading two ton of of uh, of, ch of, hen of chicken litter, also would the combination help break down residue? Yes, yes, yes. Um, 
I believe that you, you can get your balances back in place by many ways. The ways that we probably achieved this the, the quickest and the best was to start eliminating the salts and the acids from the fertilizers and the chemistry. When we stopped harming the beneficials and the beneficials started to back and become more in balance, that's when we saw the shift start to occur from bacterial to fungal. I think I've been too stubborn all these years. If I would have had this notion that I have now about these tea, these comp, whatever you want to call this stuff, compost tea, extraction, whatever it is you want to call it. If you would have had these available, which they were available, if I wasn't so stubborn and didn't use them, if I would have used these products at the beginning of this massive transition we did, we would have got there quicker because you are now helping the microbial biome do what you want it to do. So I am all about if someone is in the transition phase of mass destruction tillage and they've decided to roll into this regen world, now is the time to be using these products. Don't be stubborn like I was. And use these products to your advantage. So yes, I think you can definitely speed all of this up. Um, Ed, Ed Bourgeois, I hope I pronounced that correct, Ed. Yes, gets the epigenetics going with your local microbes applied as extract soil or tea foliage. Yes, Ed, that's exactly what I've been alluding to is epigenetics. We are, are not only are we uh, growing our own soybeans now. Now, you got you to gotta pay attention to me here now. We've got to go back and we've got to get genetics that are off patent. You cannot bin run endless three beans. That's not what I'm saying here. We went back 35 years and we started with 10 varieties and we are now have grown them out three times. We now have 2000 pounds of five varieties. We trimmed it down to five that we're going to plant this spring and we are going to let the beans adapt to our system, our region, our environment. That's epigenetics. We are also doing this with seed corn. We're going to use open pollinator corn and we're going to use seed corn that uh, the genetics are 80 years old. We've already got the first grow outs are almost complete. And the stuff, I'm telling you folks, I'm not going to tell you what it is, but not today. I will someday, but not today. But these genetics we got are the basis of all of, of the genetics that are being used today. That this stuff's 80 years old, okay? Epigenetics also with cover, cover crop, not all cover crops. I'm not going to raise our own clover. I'm not going to raise our own vetch, but we are going to start raising our own rye. We started last year. And we're going to let that rye adapt to our system. And I hope that we never buy another bag of rye again. And then also epigenetics with the microbes. And that's what Ed is referring to here. And I'm in total agreement. I think you need to let the, the whatever is inherent within your system 
thrive and adapt to your new practices. I'm telling you folks, when we, when we started down this journey, you could, you could easily go out with your spade. And by the way, that's about all you need here is a spade. I hope everyone carries a spade in their, in their pickup bed. If you don't go buy one tomorrow, but go out and dig. The first thing you're looking for is aggregate stability. That's the first thing I look for. When you stick that spade in and tip it out, you can see it. It's right there in front of you. We ran at one to one and a half inches for many years. Then when we finally took away everything, the chemistry, the fertilizer, we went to three inches fairly quick. Now I saw the biggest change I've ever seen on our farm last year. We then went to six inches deep of aggregate stability. Oh my gosh, folks. Now we have a living, breathing system here. All that pore space. We have uh, water infiltration rates on the farm now of 20 inches an hour. I mean, this is just crazy stuff. But this is where we get to when we eliminate tillage and we eliminate the chemistry. So please don't be stubborn like I was. Build your own Johnson Sioux reactor. Buy John Kemp stuff. Buy whatever. What was the other one? J&S or whatever the company was. I don't care. I don't sell anything, so I don't care. But try these. I'll use them in concert with your current system. Okay, Gregory Jacks, I've been using cover crops for over 10 years, but not getting the soil health that I hoped. By applying compost extract, I'm hoping to speed that process up. Okay, Gregory, if you don't mind, can you tell me, and or tell all of us, please, how are you terminating those cover crops? And at what growth stage typically are you terminating? If you don't mind, would you please put that in the chat? Uh, let's see, Ed, great, Ed says, great with your rye. Uh, let's see, as, as, Christ, as Christine mentions, it's the plant exudates that drive the system. Yes, that's right, Ed. So please go to that green cover seed webinar uh, package they do and look for Dr. Jones. And I'm telling you what, she has a nitrogen. I don't remember the other two. There's a nitrogen and a phosphorus. And oh my gosh, they'll blow your mind. There's enough phosphorus below our feet to last hundreds of years. Maybe a thousand years. We just need to get it unlocked and get it back up to the surface. Okay. Um, okay, plant green and terminate with glyphosate. Okay. I think that's where some of your, your problem might be, uh, Gregory, is I think we've got to get the glyphosate out. I think it's doing us quite a bit of harm in the, in the microbial world. And I think that's why you can't get to the point you think you should be by now. Now, another question I have for you, and, and please respond back, in the if you have this situation in the fall are you adding diversity to that cereal rye or are you just planting it as a monocrop all right we're going to wait for his response and let me look for some uh, more questions let's see michael 
while you wait for the Johnson's 2 process to happen, that's one year, a simple compost 250-gallon tea maker can be built cheap. Build-it-yourself design, Elaine Ingham, yep, from CropServiceInternational.com. Uh, I think $150. Make 250 gallons in two to three days. Use five-gallon acre in foliar blend. Any good compost can be used, dairy poo or purple cow. Add the minerals from the sap analysis. Watch the magic. There you go. That's great advice. So what Michael's saying is once you get that sap analysis back, see what you are limiting in and then create that that tea that slurry whatever and and then you now have a fairly cheap way to go out and i'm assuming at that point michael you're going to foliar feed and then just foliar feed this right onto that cash crop great this is great conversation guys i love it uh okay gregory no diversity gregory that's another thing i think that's wrong here with what what why you're not seeing the results you want to see when i know this is hard but when you've got that window of time in the fall that you can get diversity you've got to go for it so let's just toss something down here real quick use your 80 or 100 pounds of cereal rye add in two pounds of radish two pounds of turnip um five or six pounds of sorghum sudan. I might even put in five pounds of oats, uh, maybe five pounds of cow peas, two pounds of sunflower and two pounds of sun hemp. Now, everything that I just mentioned there will winter kill except for the cereal rye. You now have added six, <coughs> excuse me, six or seven different species you're gaining diversity, and, and I think that's going to help you get over this hump of what you're seeing that you don't think it's happening quick enough. I hope that answered your question. What else we got here? Michael says to foliar feed every three weeks. Uh, Michael, I wanted to sell our sprayer. I didn't want to get it back out of the, of the cobwebs, but if that's what we got to do, that's what we're going to do. Okay, Gregory Jack says again, VNS wheat and then planting cotton. Where, where are you located at, Gregory? Are you Texas? Are you Arkansas? Where, where are you at? Uh, Ed Bourgeois, Christine talks about our crops creating its own organic nitrogen with bacteria and, and archaea within the root rises sheath. That's exactly right. Ed's, Ed's heard this presentation. It is a tremendous presentation Please go listen to it yourself. You'll love it. Um, I've, I've listened to it multiple times. So um, she is a wonderful, wonderful person who's dedicated most of her life to this. And, and uh, we, we all can't thank her enough. Uh, Curtis, I built an extractor and tea brewer out of an old 500-gallon open-top milk cooler. Just need to supply adequate air for large foliar tea brews so a 130 cfm blower is what i'm using that's interesting i like that so you're blowing air up through that compost so that it is constantly can breathe i love that idea 
I like that. And the other thing we've got to remember here, folks, is to keep this moist. We went to Lowe's the other day and we bought a timer. So we've got a timer hooked into the garden hose. It's set for one minute. We built a, a square and, and, and put two lateral slats down the middle out of PVC, drilled holes in the bottom, hooked it into the garden hose, turn on the hydrant, set the timer, and every day, I think Eric set it for 8.14, I think, every day at 8.14, it will turn on and run for one minute, and that will keep that compost moist. It has to maintain, I believe, uh, David Johnson, I think he says 70% moisture. So it has to maintain that moisture to complete this composting process. I mean, this is going to be so, this is what makes farming fun, guys. I, I'm, I'm 58 years old and I am having a blast right now. And I, I've got, you know, I stress this, this teamwork, this family's got to be behind. I mean, everyone involved is, is in, we're all in on this. We're, I, you know, there are four of us down there building this reactor and filling it today and, and having a heck of a time. So I, I just love where we are headed in agriculture right now. I just love it. Gregory, Northeast Arkansas. Okay. Cover crop wheat planted in the fall, terminated with glyphosate cotton planted in May. All right, Gregory, let's, let me ask you a question. Um, cotton planted in May. Do you think your cereal rye would be at anthesis by the time you want to plant cotton? I think it would be. So why not let's plant cereal rye and let's roll the rye down and then no-till your cotton into that cereal rye. What do you think about that? I think that might work, but you got to tell me. I don't know how um, strong, let's say, or how vibrant, how much vigor a cotton plant has coming out of the ground. Does it, is it going to wiggle itself through that mat and get out or is it, is it going to fail? I don't, I don't know. Uh, Kevin Neiman, how heavy can you graze cover crop and still have weed suppression enough to cut chemical? Oh boy, that's a good one. <clears throat> well, we've got to follow the rules that the grazers lay down. And I'm going to, I don't know where you are, Kevin, um, but here in the Midwest, we, our soils aren't very conducive for grazing because we get too wet. We have too much clay and we are going to compact something fierce. So I would probably do grazing in the summer and the fall and then pull them off in time that that cover crop can grow, survive the winter, come out next spring and, and take off. And then we'll plant our corn into that or our beans into it. I'm going to assume and, and I hope you respond back. Uh, OK, northeast Iowa. Do you have soils that you can graze in the winter time, like wheat? Can you graze wheat and then pull those cattle off? Or are you referring to grazing, uh, your normal grazing, but yet don't take the grazing or don't take the foliage down so far that now weeds come in? I, I guess I need a little more clarity. Are you trying to graze ahead of a cash crop being planted or are you just grazing the forages and you don't want uh, weeds coming through where they've grazed. Um, 
winter grazing into cash crop. Okay, all right. So I think what I just explained would be fine, but you've got to make sure that you pull the cattle off in time that, that um, oh no, you said winter grazing into cash crop. So you're gonna be grazing those cattle on that field in the winter time, pull the cattle off, let the cover crop grow and then plant your, your cash crop into it. I'm okay with that, but you're probably gonna have to wait and delay your planting a little bit and let that cover crop grow and build a little biomass and get ready for, for that, that height to suppress weeds. Um, I would love to do that, but like I said, we can't do that here. We just don't have the right soil for that. Typically what we're doing here is when we pull cattle off of a field, I do not follow cattle with corn. I know that would seem like the most logical sense because of all the nutrients those cattle are putting down, but the compaction I'm concerned about, uh, and I know corn doesn't like compaction, so we are going soybeans first because soybeans can handle compaction better than corn can. Then you've gone through a, a nether winter, a nether cycle of a cash crop, and then another cycle of a cover crop, then your corn crop comes back. So that's how we like to do the grazing here. Obviously it's different everywhere around. That's why context is so important. Uh, I hope I answered your question. And, and, and that was a great question. Uh, Michael, is 50 to 75 dollars so cost per acre is very reasonable game is biology into plant system can be used for side dress also so let me go back um so cost for making 250 gallons compost tea is 50 to 75 bucks that's it that's not per acre that's total cost 50 to 75 dollars per acre of cost that is cheap it just boils down to slowing down that's what my problem was I, I needed to slow down and put more emphasis on how important it was to build this reactor and we finally got it so thank you um let's see here gregory uh i've got a few acres of cereal rye this year and it's about five feet tall and headed out i don't have a roller crimper hence using the glyphosate to terminate. Okay, do you have, Gregory, do you have a rolling basket or a cold packer or something like that? It doesn't have to be a, or a smooth uh, a land roller. Do you have something like that? I'll wait for your response. What cover, uh, this is from Lee. What cover are you using in between beans going to corn? Okay, what we've done in the past is 30 pounds of cereal rye, uh, five pounds of sorghum sudan, two pounds of, of uh, radish, five pounds of balanza fixation clover, and I want to add five pounds of hairy vetch. And I like Steve Groff's uh, Winter King hairy vetch. Okay. That's a, a cocktail that I've called Gunslinger in the past. It, it's, it's out at, at Cisco companies in Indianapolis. If you call in, ask for Gunslinger, that, they'll know what that is. But now the Gunslinger, the original Gunslinger, does not have 
the Harry Vetch, but I want to add that because I want to make sure that one, I like for both of them to survive, but sometimes the clovers will struggle. And if they struggle, then you've got the vetch as a backup. Okay, that's one. Now, the second alternative is if, now, okay, let me back up before I go to number two. Number one, that has to be planted about 45 days before your first freeze event. So, folks, you got to know when that is, and you got to back up. And then I'm going to bet that a lot of you, when you back up that 45 days, it's August. And you're going to say, Rick, how in the world are you expect me to plant this in August when the cash crop's still growing out there? I get it. So let's say you're a grazer. You graze up to a point early August, pull the cattle out, put this cocktail out there, and away you go, you know, for the corn. If, if, that, if you've got the soil that you can do that on. I just explained to you that I don't because I don't like that compaction, but I don't have that kind of a sandy type soil. Okay, another way to do this is behind a cereal grain and do not double crop soybeans. Plant a cereal grain, harvest off in July, maybe put out 30 or 40 pounds of oats to hold the weeds because you're talking July. You need to hold for 30 or 40 days, then come back in with that cocktail I just described and away you go. Okay, if you cannot get in that window, that's when these cold tolerant peas come into play because you can plant these all the way up until the ground freezes. Matter of fact, that's when you wanna plant them. You wanna wait as long as you can in the fall. We planted our peas last winter in December. Now, Green Cover sells a Wyoming pea. Uh, Grassland Oregon sells a Survivor pea. And, uh, there's an, and, and there's an Austrian winter pea. And there's an icicle pea now. Now I told you earlier in this in this webinar that our peas failed this year, and the peas we planted, folks, were none of those four. They were none of those four. It was something else. I was beta testing them for somebody. So I think the survivors are solid, the Wyoming's are solid and the Austrian winter peas are solid. I don't know anything about the icicles. I never planted them. So those are the, 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 the things that we do ahead of corn. And again, you've got to try to get <clears throat> as much diversity as you possibly can. Okay, let's see what, what we got here. Um, are you grazing sheep too? Does that change compaction dynamics on your soils? Ed, great question. Yes. We are going to start grazing the sheep, and yes, that greatly changes the dynamic because the footprint on a lamb or a sheep is way less than a cow. Yes, but now I'm going to have to go to school somewhere and have somebody teach me how to manage the sheep in that system because I do not know. But I'm telling you what, my beautiful wife, Carol, started this project two years ago and i am into it with her i mean i'm into it these sheep are cool i like the sheep they don't tear everything up like cattle do they they actually i think are going to make some money and and they're just really nice to have around they're very friendly you walk out in the pasture with them they come up to you uh, i'm really liking the sheep idea so 
I hope to grow that herd and do more grazing. Yes, Ed, but I need, I need some teaching. I need someone to teach me how to do that. Um, okay, there was a comment here from Nick. Mr. Gregory, just use a regular flat roller behind planter and lay down residuals and beans. That's what we do here in central Arkansas. Yeah, that's why I was asking if you could get to anything, a rolling basket, a call to packer, a smooth barrel roller, that's what he has. I believe that's what he, a, a flat roller, I assume that's what you're calling a, a smooth barrel roller. I think those are used for uh, out west. I think guys roll their beans with them. And I think also uh, in, in dairy country, alfalfa folks are rolling their alfalfa fields to kind of push the rocks in so then they don't interfere with those choppers and the and the the rotary size and all those things so yeah um kevin neiman cattle in our experience cause little compaction as long as as we don't crowd some of our best yielding fields had cows running on it the day before we planted wow there you go kevin and you are in you're in Northeast Iowa, is that, is that right? If I remember correctly, I got so much going on here. I hope that's right. That is impressive. I like that. Um, so there you go. Again, folks, context. I don't like the soil we have. I've seen the, comp I've seen the compaction get too great. Kevin's got a situation where it's working for him. Beautiful, I love it. Then, then make it work. Um, Let's see. Sheep Industry Handbook, the Bible. I got to write that down. Paul Thomas. Where's my pen? Hang on. I'll be right back. All right, Paul. Thank you. Um, Sheep Industry Handbook. This is this is perfect. And he calls it the Bible, so that must be a it must be like a how to a how to thing. I love it. Um, yes, smooth drum roller. And okay, one more question for you, Nick. Do you put water in that drum, or are you running it uh, without water? Okay, Jake Roland, you are natural meat winner. I will email you to get your shipping address. Congratulations, Jake. Good job. Uh, Rachel, I'm not sure what, what we're giving away. Is it lamb and beef or just beef? Uh, if you could give us a, a respond on that, I'd appreciate it. Jake uh, responded, awesome. Jake, where are you at? Okay, Nick is saying no water. Uh, roller is heavy enough by itself. Okay, very good. Now on our IJ roller crimper, we do fill those barrels with water. So. Uh, it just depends on what you want to do. But now remember, uh, Jake, you're in Southern Indiana. Perfect. All right. Now remember, guys, when we get rye that's five feet tall and dropping pollen, it's almost, it's almost dead. The plant is almost ready to die. It's done its thing. It's making a head. It's trying to fertilize the seed. It's now focusing everything that it's got to building that fruit. Now the lignin is so high, you could roll this field down with your tractor. If you just drove back and forth and moved over 
10 inches, you could roll, in theory, you could roll the field down with your tractor tires. So that's why the smooth barrel roller works. That's why a rolling basket here would work. That's why um, a, a cul-de-packer would work. Yes, would it be better if you crimped it with a roller crimper? Probably, because you're hitting that rye like three or four different times at different angles and you're, you're crushing that stem. Yes, that would be the ultimate. But guys, money's, money's tight right now. If you've got these things already on hand, don't go buy a roller crimper. You can use probably something you've already got and make this work. Uh, Paul Thomas, what ratio of materials into your reactor? Fresh green, woody, and brown forage chopped. Okay, here's what we did. We went to Lowe's and bought their $800, um, uh, what's it called, a chipper. Like you put tree limbs in, you know, grinds them up into pieces. Okay, bring that home. We went to our uh, inventory of alfalfa hay square bales that were baled last summer. And we then went to, uh, my wife uh, shows horses. So um, we have the uh, shavings, you know, that are compacted down into those, those like three foot bales. And we then also scooped up some year old horse poop and um what else did we add to that i think that was it those three things and a little bit of grass hay so basically what we did paul was we would throw in we'd take a flake of the alfalfa you know and shred it and throw it in the in the chipper and then we'd throw in a little bit of poop and then throw in some shavings and then just keep that going you know three of us are doing that and we just kept doing that until the bag got full. Then we put it in the in this in the drench, soaked it, let it soak for a minute or two, and then you know pitchforked it onto the to the wheelbarrow, let it drain, and then put it in. So it was kind of a of a it's a grass shaving uh, manure, but but really the ratio was probably forty percent hay, forty percent um of this um, wood shavings and 20 percent manure it, very little manure was put in there um i think we can and and i've talked to mr johnson about his reactor i don't think it matters so much of what materials we use as long as they're sized down into small pieces and it's kept moist at all times i think it will grow the microbes that we want so um but we're going to play around we're going to build one that's going to be primarily built out of just alfalfa and then we're going to build one that is going to be built out of leaves and maybe some sticks that we chip that we run through the chipper um but yes we've got you've got to get this stuff sized that's what's important here so we didn't have anything bigger than um well, if you know what those shavings look like out of a out of one of those bags you put down for bedding, everything looked like that. So it, it was I was very pleased. I was very pleased. Um, Lee, uh, I hope it, I think it's I hope it's Buchholz. I hope I said that right, Lee. I have had Elbon rye mature over a two week period. 
roll crimping was hard to time correctly. Is that an Elbon thing or do I have a VNS labeled as an Elbon? Huh. So what you're saying is that what you're saying, Lee, is that you've had uh, rye that takes you've had some rye that matured and then two weeks later, the rest of the field came with it. If that's the, if that's what you're saying, then you had a VNS. You had some other species in there that was not the same maturity. When we go out to roll Elbon, it is all pretty much ready to go at that one time. So I hope that's what you mean you, when you say a two-week period, that some starts and then it takes a course of a two-week to get it all to mature. Uh, just respond back if you would. Um, Paul Thomas asks, how will you keep from freezing? Well, fortunately, Paul, we've got a, a tool shed on the farm that is heated. So we will take these in in the wintertime and they will then live inside and we will just transfer our hose watering mechanism to there and uh, keep the water going on a daily basis on that one minute timer. And then as soon as we're out of that cold, uh, we'll bring them back outside. I think it's important to leave them out as long as we can and just just take in the the what's in the air. So uh, yeah, we've got a, luckily we've got a building that we can keep them from freezing. Um, Let's see here. What Paul? Can you why? Uh, what why are you giving us that website? Organiclandcare.com. What's oh case studies? Uh, just help me out, Paul. What's that for? If you could give me a little more detail, uh, Joe. I I hope it's Kellick. I hope that's right, Joe. What kind of peas and at what rate for planting corn? Okay, I think uh, I'm going to answer this two ways. Um, because I, I don't know which way you're talking about. If you're talking about the PID in the spring that we're going to do, or the PID in the fall. Uh, in the fall, obviously, you got to use a cold tolerant P. Uh, okay, you want spring. Uh, I think if you know that you're going to be past a freeze, which I, I, I would, I don't know where you are for sure, but where I am, I don't know if I'm safe for three more weeks. So I would probably source a cold tolerant pea, like the survivor pea or the Wyoming pea is what I would probably source. You're in central Indiana. Yeah, I would be cautious here, um, Joe, because our weather can get a little goofy here, as you well know. So with that being said, I would use the cold tolerant pea and we are going to plant them at 120 pounds to the acre. That's 120 pounds to the acre. That's a lot, but we need two things to happen here. This is our wheat suppression, and this is our fuel for the corn. So I, I am totally convinced that at 120 pounds, peas will suppress the weeds. There won't be any, but that's why we're doing this split timing thing, because this will suffocate the corn if we don't get that corn out and get it going first. Okay, so I hope it answers your question. Now, if you don't think you're worried about a cold, a cold event, then I would probably use the old 40, uh, the 4010P. I love that P, but it does not like cold weather. That's a forage P. So either one would work. I'm going to afford the more safety side of it, and we're going to plant a cold tolerant P 
at 120 pounds per acre. Okay, uh, Lee, yes, the majority was in the middle, but a small amount would start a week before and a small amount would lag behind. Uh, Lee, I would say that you had a little bit of contamination there from a different variety. I don't know that for a fact, and I don't want to point blame anywhere, but it just sounds like that there may have been <clears throat> a little bit of a different variety. Um, man, this has been great. We have gone for an hour and a half. Um, anything else burning that anybody wants to talk about? Um, I think we've covered a lot of the ground here for corn and soybeans to be planted. Don't give up here, folks. I mean, I'm driving around and looking at these fields like, oh my gosh, we're not going to have enough biomass on these, these rye fields to hold these weeds back for the soybeans. That's why we are going to pull the drill out and we're going to probably drill more acres of beans this year than we ever have. 225,000 seeds per acre on seven and a half inch row spacing. Get those things out of the ground, get them to canopy, and, and then they're gonna grow with the rye and either, like I said, either A, clip the rye off at the, over the top. It'd be like, it'd be like Lauren Steinlog, he does his relay in, in Northeast Iowa except Lauren is laying the beans down with his, with his, with his uh, table and then cutting the rye or the wheat off and then the beans come back up and then they fill in and go. We would just be, and he's not driving over any of his beans this way, but we would be, we would just be out. This would be my version of relay cropping and then just go out and just drive right over the beans and clip that rye off right above them, harvest that rye because Hey, I want to do epigenetics anyway, so we got to get our rye from somewhere, so we might as well get it from there. So that's what I'm thinking. It's going to be, you know, I think everyone's on a little, I think everyone's a little jittery right now this spring. It's almost May, and it doesn't feel like spring yet, but just remember, things change in a hurry. I mean, tomorrow's 70s and Sunday is in the 80s. That's gonna, that's just gonna crank on the stuff taking off around here and on all on your farms. So keep your heads up. And the number one thing here, folks, is be safe. Everyone needs to be safe. Hey, I, I don't think, oh wait, we got a couple more questions here. Uh, Lee, yes, the majority, or nope, I already read that. How many varieties of rye do you use? Um, Lee, we only use one, Elbon. And I, Lee, that's the first one I tried, and it's the one that, that worked, and I loved it. So I've never tried a Rustic. Uh, we did try Hazlitt one year. Uh, it's a little bit earlier. I don't know. I went back to Elbon. I just, I just like Elbon. Um, is there better ones out there? Maybe. Um, Again, those are things you could try on your own farm. Maybe we should do that. Maybe we should get a different variety and try it on a different field and see if, 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 if a different variety can handle later planting in the fall. Those are things we probably should be doing. But to answer your question, uh, Elbon's the only one. Uh, Paul Thomas, we need a variety 
comparison of peas cover crop species. I'm not sure what you mean, Paul. Uh, we need a variety com comparisons of peas cover crop species. I'm not sure what you mean. Can you give me a little more clarity there? <clears throat> Well, okay, now, all right, Gregory's asked, uh, is above ground biomass, okay, hang on, Gregory, I'm coming to you in just a second here. Paul's typed in maturity planting. We need a variety of comparison of peas, cover crop species, maturity and planting. Um, you know, I don't know what the maturity of these peas, uh, like, I don't know what the maturity of the, of the survivor pea is to the Wyoming. That's a good question. I don't know what that is. Uh, I'm sure I've got it logged down somewhere in my notes. Um, that would probably be a good idea. And I think that would be a great test plot <clears throat> would be to have some Wyoming's and some, some survivors, some icicles and, and some, some uh, uh, Austrian winters and just compare. And again, you may find a pea that, that does better with your corn. I mean, I, you know, I always go back, I always go back to the way the American Native Indian did this. The three sisters, they dropped a corn, a bean, and a squash. And, and that's what I always go back to. And I think there's synergies there. So that's why I like this notion of the peas growing with the corn. I would love to plant corn and fava beans and just let those fava beans just climb up that corn plant. I mean, there's a synergy there. Those two like each other. That's what we got to do. And that's what we're trying to do here. We're trying to co-mingle our cash crops. We're going to, and some of those fields I talked about where we're going to go out and plant beans first, you know, into this short rye, and we're going to let that rye and beans grow together and not roll it down. Some of those acres that I talked about, we're going to combine. That's right. There's also some acres we're not going to combine and we're going to wait till harvest and take the rye and the beans together. Now, will we use, lose some quality on the rye? Probably. We probably will, but that's, we'll check that germ at the time we harvest. And those are, and, and then we'll separate them, run it through a rotary screen. And that's easy. Beans out of rye. That's simple. We'll separate those. There's those synergies there that we need to be always looking at. And, and when you co-mingle cash crops like that, <clears throat> you have now also gained on your weed suppression because look at the density you've got out there now. There won't be anything even think about coming through that. So it's all about getting creative. Okay, Lee, how do I know I'm getting an uncontaminated seed. Can certified be contaminated? It should not be, Lee. If it's certified from a reputable source, it was supposed to have been, <clears throat> they were supposed to have given them a certain sample size, and then they're supposed to go through and screen it out, and they're supposed to tell you what, how much percent inert there is, how many weeds there are, and what noxious weeds they found in there, all that's supposed to be recorded on that ticket, that tag, that seed tag. If you're not getting that data, then you need to ask why. You need to, they need to be telling you exactly 
what's in that bag because we got to be careful. <clears throat> if you're not buying seed from a reputable source, you're going to be bringing in somebody else's weed problems and you definitely don't want that. So please check that out, Lee. Make sure your seed um, is, is specifying what all's on there. Okay, Joe, how dense does the balanza need to be this time of year to be beneficial? It seems like mine did not germinate very well. Maybe I drilled my mix too deep. I, I doubt if you drilled it too deep. I mean, unless you went over an inch, you probably didn't go too deep. Now, I think clovers should be less than a half inch, but I think you could get by with up to three quarters of an inch and make it. Now, here's what I will, uh, if you don't mind, Joe, tell me where you're from. Can you type that in real quick? Because I think what's, what's happening here is a lot of times we don't, North Central Ohio. Okay, it's probably too cold. It, there's so many times I have gone, I've made this mistake. I've gone out in late April, it's cold like it is now. And I say, well, there we go again. The, the clovers didn't make it. I'm gonna give up on it and we're gonna just forget it. Well, I think we gotta wait here and wait for the ground to warm up. And I'm not gonna guarantee that your clover is gonna be there. But if you see some now, I'm gonna guess it's gonna get thicker over time. Uh, and I'm gonna also venture to say you're probably a little wet there and clovers don't particularly like wet feet. So let's let the mother nature warm us up. Let's dry out a little bit and I hope those clovers come back in for you. Um, but a, okay, Lee, but a variety contamination can make it through a certification. Well, I don't, maybe it can. I, Lee, I don't know on that. I do not know. I do not know. Um, is it, is this bad enough that you cannot roll or crimp it down and it all stays down? Or are you getting a very poor uh, termination with the roller crimper? Can you answer me that, please? Yeah, Joe, Joe responded back. Good guess. Cold and wet. Yeah, it's cold and wet. So give it some time. Uh, Joe, how deep did you plant? The, the clover, was it less than three quarters of an inch, I hope? Well, we're waiting on these guys to respond back. Um, again, I, you know, I'm so excited about the future. I'm so excited about the next generation that's coming. Um, and the next generation after that were Carol and I are grandparents and it's just, it's just an awesome, awesome thing. Um, okay, Joe, yes, probably half inch broadcast as well. Now, I, I think, I, you know, I, I, I probably need to see your field before I make this comment, Joe, but based on everything you've told me, I think you're going to be okay. Give it some time. Let the old sun come out. Let, let it warm up. And, and I think you'll be, I think you'll be okay. I really haven't answered your question on how dense it should be. Um, you should not see any ground. You shouldn't see any soil. When this rot or when this clover is up and blooming, you shouldn't see any any soil. That's that's kind of the density you need. 
So I hope you, you can get to that point. And if you don't think you can, then try the pea idea. You can add peas to that, that clover you've got there. Maybe you don't do 120 pounds. Maybe you only do 80. I mean, we're talking, I mean, guys, when we get to 120 pounds of peas, we're, we're pushing 40 bucks an acre here. So you got to make sure that's what you want to fork out uh, per acre on this corn crop. So, so, you know, Joe, let's say you get this, this clover and let's say it's a half a stand, but it's a fairly even stand, but it's only a half a stand, then I might go out and, and, and plant no-till the corn into that two days later, um, plant 80 acre or 80 pounds of peas. So that's, that's how I would uh, take advantage of, even if your clover was, was a, a, a smaller amount than what you wanted. Where are you getting your non-patent seed from? Okay, go online and Google the, I cannot remember what it's called, but it's in Colorado. It's the USDA Seed Bank. I think maybe if you Google USDA Seed Bank in Colorado, that might be enough to get you there. I think they have every seed genetic that's ever been invented they have a sample of it. They have it there. They will send you a hundred seeds. That's how we got started with a with a hundred seeds that fit in your two hands. And we 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 started with ten varieties. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you what we started with. We started with Asgro. I think Asgro is one of the premier uh, seed companies throughout time. Uh, again. I don't sell anything. Uh, it makes no difference to me if you like Pioneer or if you like DeKalb or if you like uh, Dairyland. I don't care. I started with Asgro and uh, again, call, uh, USDA Seed Bank in Colorado. I hope that gets you there. I don't remember what it's called. I apologize. <clears throat> All right. Well, Guys, we've been at this for an hour and 45 minutes. I hope this was helpful. And uh, please give us some feedback if you would like for me to do this again in the near future. Instead of having a guest on, just let me ramble and answer questions. I, I love this. Um, uh, again, congratulations to Mr. Roland for being the winner this evening. Uh, we'll get that shipped out to you as soon as uh, as soon as we possibly can. And everyone, um, everyone, be safe. Let's see what do we got here. Th uh, thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. Um, everyone, have a safe and prosperous spring, and we'll see you next time. Bye bye.